0: Impact of Influence: The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. The truth. Hello, friend Matt Harrison, Seton Tucker, and producer Dwayne. All back at it again. So grateful that you spend time with us. We know there are so many options, and that you've continued to hang with us through all this time. Is much appreciated. Michael DeWitt, the great writer and historian and storyteller, we do a podcast with called the Wicked South Podcast. You can catch that on Facebook, same title. And we did an episode with him about the Murdoch legacy of running the whole system down in the low country. And Randolph the Third in 1990 was dealing with an attempted rape case in Allendale County. And he put this guy into the first time offender program was supposed to be first time nonviolent offenders. This person was neither, uh, for this attempted rape of, and Henry Lewis Wallace was the man who it was later learned out, did have an extensive criminal history, but they did not find out about it. All the details in that episode. And, uh, he goes on to kill and rape at least 11 women in north and south carolina becoming known as the charlotte strangler or the taco bell strangler and so we've started digging into that case and there's a lot to unpack and we're going to start with the pro- one of the prosecutors in this case who Tried this case over many, many months. Very strenuous trial. And her name is Marsha Goodnow. She's uh, had 30 years experience as a JAG officer in the Air Force. Prosecutor for 39 years. Worked on well over a 1,000 murder cases. Worked the Wallace case from the beginning. And she joins us now. All right, Marsha, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, We're going to find out some things today that I don't think a lot of people knew about if they've been following the case, say, in the last 10 years or something. So I do appreciate that.
1: Well, I want to kind of start out asking you, have you ever tried a case, I mean, a murder case or a case against a serial killer?
2: Before this, no.
1: This is your first, and this is a this is
2: a big one to start out with. Yeah. Yes, it was. I'd only been in the office um, maybe four years when I got assigned the case.
0: Were you aware that murders were happening in the city? What Was Charlotte talking about these murders uh, before you found out about the rest?
2: No, not at all. I, that's another thing the media has created. No one knew there was a serial killer until the two murders that happened on March the 9th of 1994. That's when the police said, something's going on here. Henry Wallace was in custody within four days of that.
0: And you are given the case after the confession? Or are you there during the confession? How does that play out?
2: I was not there during the confessions, but I was um, assigned the case within maybe two days of him being arrested.
1: They obviously thought you were capable, if you were assigned within two days, that you were you were the person to be able to handle this type of case.
0: From what I understand, and correct me wrong, he really went into details in these he murders. Went into incredible details. And it's violent, strangulation and some stabbing and rape. You're new into the the system. Were you mortified or did you have some way to separate that from the the sickness of what went on?
2: Well, I don't know that you ever separate yourself from the sickness. Um, But after having done this now for almost 40 years, I, I... I think the body has a way of coping because if it didn't, you couldn't do it for that many years. The people that can't do it, get out.
0: So you get, so he had the arrest, he has the uh, confession, and then you have to prepare. Obviously, I would assume this is obvious to people. You're not preparing for guilt or innocence, right? You're preparing for whether or not it's a death penalty case. Am I Correct.
2: Well, you're preparing for both because nobody usually that is facing the death penalty pleads guilty. It's wow. it's a trial because they're hoping to get a verdict less than first degree murder so that they won't be facing the death penalty since first degree murder is the only thing that death is an
0: option for. So that was on the table even when these, the confession?
2: Oh yes. Oh yes. And the defense had a, a strategy to try to convince the jury that it was second degree murder and not first.
0: Was that based on his mental illness or his drug addiction?
2: It was both. They were basically saying because of his mental illness for all of them and his drug addiction at the end, that he didn't have the capacity to premeditate.
0: So you're preparing, I think I read for six months. and. In that time, are you starting to study the ways that other defense teams have handled people who are serial killers or whatnot and the psychological aspect of that? I'm assuming you hadn't dove deep into it at that point.
2: No. And of course, we prepared for more than six months. You're preparing for the minute you get the case assigned to you. My strategy was more of a preparing on how to deal with the serial killer. Um, Myself and a team of homicide detectives actually went to Quantico for three, four days and worked with the behavioral science unit on studying serial killers. You know, we broke down all of his cases and everything that he did and discussed them. The way that I handled the defense portion of the case is once they gave us the list of who their experts were going to be, I literally went out and found every book that their experts had written, and I read every book. Wow. So I would know where they were coming from and how to attack their testimony.
0: And that includes the the woman who Mindhunter is based on Ed Burgess, I assume, right?
2: Ann Burgess, yes. She was one of my favorite people to cross-examine.
0: Do When you say favorite people, do you mean that in a facetious way? Like you you, you were able to handle her, and, or was she just smart, well, and that's why you liked it?
2: Yeah, no, she came into the courtroom looking like, you know, somebody's grandmother. And she was a nurse. And so I I thought, well, I'm going to have to use kid gloves with her because the jury's going to like her. Ah. Uh, They didn't like her. Oh, really? So (laughs) I was able to go totally after her. Her testimony was so unbelievable. I mean, she said that he fantasized raping all these women. I mean, his DNA was in their vagina. I don't know how that's a fantasy.
0: Oh, so she was saying not, okay. No, I, I he wasn't
1: living in reality.
0: Okay, so you're, okay, so her case was that she didn't even rape him, really just fantasized. Correct. But yet there was DNA inside them.
2: It, not all of them, but yes, yeah. inside of, I think we ended up finding DNA maybe in four of the, the 10 victims. And
0: they talked about childhood and that sort of thing in this, and did you go after that concept?
2: Well, yeah, that was a pretty easy concept to go after. Um, He said that he was beaten with electrical cords and water hoses and parts of his electric racetrack. But at the same time, they said his house had no water and no electricity. So I don't know why you have electrical cords if you don't have electricity. I don't know why you have an electric racetrack if you don't have electricity or a water hose if you don't have water. So I was able to point out things like that that just did not make sense.
0: Because also the one uh, FBI agent that's also— Wrestler. wrestler there you wrestler. go. Sorry, couldn't find his name. What what was his—because he went—I think he went first. What was his pitch?
2: He said that um, Henry Wallace was a disorganized serial killer. And disorganized serial killers are mentally ill. There was no scientific basis for that assumption at all. Once again, I read all their books, all their studies that they did that all these TV shows are based on, or from interviewing 40 killers who are pathological liars. So all of your data is based only on 40 people who are proven liars. So their data, to me, was flawed. But even after that, Henry Wallace, until the very end, where he just sort of degraded because of the drugs, was an incredibly organized killer. That's why there was no sign of him left in any of those murder scenes. So I was able to show that he was an organized killer and that there was no, even if he was disorganized, there's no proof that that meant he
0: was mentally ill. I want to back up just for a second because you said you went to Quantico and the two people you talked about that were from the Mindhunter thing um, were Quantico people at one point where was the, the FBI that you saw in Quantico in your interviews pitching a different or, or painting a different picture to you than the two people you had to uh, cross examine
2: totally different.
0: Really? So,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Robert Ressler at that point, his only source of income was testifying for defense attorneys. He was no longer an FBI agent. So he would come in basically after being hired And if he didn't help the defense, then he didn't get any funds.
0: Wow. And so at Quantico, they went into more depth, I assume, of all the ways that serial killers differ and whatnot. Correct. And one of the things I I believe I read was that there was a lack of patterns in his crime. Yeah, he
1: was different than a lot of serial killers.
0: Do you think he did it on purpose? He did
2: do it. He said he did it on purpose oh. in his confessions. He bragged about and he actually used the word "I changed my modus operandi from murder to the next murder so that the police wouldn't catch on." I have not he heard this mentioned. It. This has not no. been.
0: I not heard this reported. And you think it's something that isn't reported because there's a certain narrative that people want to tell, and so they don't want to share that.
2: That's exactly correct. There is a narrative, (laughs) and it's not true. I mean, these detectives that worked on these cases did an incredible job, not even knowing there was a serial killer. The amount of work and investigation they did that then, once we knew who it was that linked everything to him, made our case.
1: Let's talk about this media attention that this case was receiving while you're trying it. You know, you've said that Y'all weren't aware that this was a serial killer situation. How was this portrayed in the media?
2: The media never covered, but one of those murders that I recall, and that was Dee Sumter's daughter, Shauna Hawk. They covered that murder at the time. And they covered it because Dee took a, such a proactive role after her daughter died in forming Mamo um, to help, you know, the mothers of murdered offspring. So it was D getting the attention. The media did not cover these girls' deaths. They didn't cover them until that last month, which was March of 1994. And in March, he killed three women within four days. That's when they started covering the case. There the- was no Charlotte Strangler. There was no Taco Bell Strangler. I would beg you to show me a newspaper article before the last 10 years ever even referred to Henry Wallace that way. Oh, so no that, one knew there was a Strangler loose in Charlotte.
0: So the nickname didn't even happen till 10 years after or whatever, long it after means. the trial. Correct. Oh, but was the, was the trial when it started, was that covered uh, a lot? Yes.
2: Yes. Okay. That was extensively covered. Like I mean, national? his case was covered, yes.
0: So, so the national media was also looking at it.
2: That I can't tell you for sure. I don't know if I recall the national media covering it or not. Um, But I know the local media covered it extensively.
1: So we were told by a guest that we had, you know, we've covered this Murdoch trial, that the defense and prosecution were looking at the media every day. Did you, as a prosecutor, look to see what the media was saying or did you just ignore it?
2: I did occasionally, and what always baffled me was how one thing would happen in the courtroom and something else would be portrayed on the TV news that night. It's like, were they in the same place I was in? <laughs> the printed media, the newspaper, did an incredible job of covering it. They sat in there all day and and listened to everything. They didn't walk in for 10 minutes and then go out
0: and report something. Can you imagine uh, now what that kind of trial would be like with social media and court TV? Has that ever crossed your mind?
2: Not until you just said it, and (laughs) I can't even imagine (laughs) that would be a nightmare.
0: Yeah, that'd be a whole other thing you'd have to manage, right? So um, one of the things that you mentioned was that once the back-to-back murders happened, if you will, that's when they started zeroing in. And there were, I guess, a couple of big things that helped. One was a palm print, right? And, Correct. And ha- where did they find the palm print?
2: It was um, Betty Balkum's vehicle. She had a hatchback. And, of course, he went through her car, stole everything out of her car, stole several things out of her home. And he had her ha- her car for a couple of days. Mm. When he decided to abandon it, he literally wiped down the entire car so that he would leave no fingerprints. But think about it. When you're pulling down a hatch, your palm gets on the inside of the car, not the outside. That's what I'm saying about the incredible job that was done by the crime scene techs and the police officers in this case. The crime scene tech opened the hatch of that car and fingerprinted underneath. And that's where the palm print was found. That was the only thing of his that was found in that car.
1: So that seems like that's kind of organized
2: behavior.
0: To wipe it down. To wipe They're,
2: it down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You should be a prosecutor. That was my whole point <laughs> when I crossed him.
0: Well, was DNA a thing? Like, were you able to get DNA from the women? How did DNA play? It was play? pretty
2: new. Yeah. DNA was pretty new. We got on, at DNA out of some of the later victims. We didn't get them in the earlier victims. For example, Caroline Love was a missing person. She was victim number two. We found her body when Henry Wallace led us, to, led us to her two years later. So there's no DNA there. Mm, right. Shawna Hawk, victim number three, he put in a bathtub, left her fully closed so nobody even would think it was a rape, wiped down her bathroom so that no fingerprints would be found. And of course, the bathtub, her being in the water, would have eliminated any DNA. Um, victim number five was Valencia Jumper. And he caught her apartment on fire and incinerated her basically. And she was ruled a fire death. So no rape kit was even done on her. So a lot of the murders were 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 not even known to be murders at the time. So but at the end when his crack cocaine addiction took him over, he started getting sloppy.
1: Yeah. It seems like his behavior is really escalating. Uh, two murders in one day.
0: Yeah. But well, you know correct. What I'm finding as we as we have this discussion, Marcia, is that you remember these victims and you remember which number they were and what happened to them. Is that normal for your cases or is this case so embedded and so infuriating to you that you hang on to it?
2: Well, I mostly do remember victims, but not like I remember. I mean, the photos, it if you showed me a photo of a black female and it was one of these 10 women, I could immediately tell you who she was and the month and the year she died and how she died. And it's been what, I mean, I first started working on this case in 1994. Wow. So it's 29 years ago.
1: So you probably as a prosecutor, you have to be somebody who really wants to be an advocate for the victims.
0: Correct. Yeah. Now, jury selection, was that uh, a tough situation? Did you go through it It, quickly? It was,
2: to be nice, it was one of the most horrible experiences of my life. Jury selection is never fun. It's never fun. The judge decided that he wanted six alternates in this case. We had to actually build a new jury box because there weren't enough seats in the jury box to accommodate 18 jurors. So we built an extra jury box to put them in. Wow. It took 6 weeks. What? To pick the jurors. 6 what? weeks.
1: That's crazy because the Murdoch trial took uh, like a day. Yeah. 2 <laughs> days. And there was yeah, yeah. and
0: everybody knew about six the story.
2: Why did it weeks. take so long? And do you know how many jurors we lost? Do you know how many alternate jurors we seated?
0: Let's talk about one of our sponsors. It is Factor You can eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals.
1: Every fresh meal is never frozen and is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, and they are ready in just two minutes. Where
0: did you have chili the other day? Delicious. And if you want gourmet meals, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, asparagus. So head to Factormeals.com slash Impact 50 and use code Impact fifty five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box.
1: That codes Impact 50 at Factormeals.com slash Impact 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Impact 50 at Factormeals.com slash Impact 50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription
3: is active. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Uh,
0: guessing none.
2: None. In a <laughs> four-month-long trial, every one of them hung what in months?
0: there. And for Why those who it- don't know, there's, only, there's usually two.
1: Yeah. Correct. Why did it take so long to select the
2: jury? Because of the media coverage of the case. A lot of people knew about the case. And then you have to death qualify them. So if a juror says that they could never under any circumstances impose the death penalty, they're not qualified to sit and they get eliminated.
0: Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app Out there, they've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off, unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Did the defense try a uh, change of venue at all? Oh, numerous times, yes.
1: If anyone knew about this case, were they immediately precluded from serving on this jury?
2: No, you have to know of the case and say, based on what you've heard or read, you've already formed an opinion as to guilt or innocence or that, um, You're unwilling to set that aside. Theoretically, a judge could keep you if you said you formed an opinion, but you're willing to set it aside. Even if the judge would let that person sit, one of the two of us, the prosecution or defense would have probably bumped them anyway.
0: I I read 400 exhibits, 75 witnesses sworn in, seven hours of his taped confessions played in court. Now,
2: I think there were 100 witnesses for some reason. I don't think 75 is accurate.
0: But you did play the exhibit
2: the- count sounds right. I thought it was a little bit over three hundred.
0: But you played the confession.
2: Yes, oh, so we did. That was the FBI let us borrow a system that they had that we could plug in, and so that the court personnel and the jurors could put headsets on and listen to them oh. with no nothing at no other noises. I remember um, the person who ended up being the foreperson of our jury started with the headphones and then took them off. And we had no idea why he wasn't listening with the headphones anymore. And after the trial, he said it was like he was whispering in my ear what he had done to those women. And I couldn't stand
0: it. Oh, sweet Jesus.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: Did you see obvious reactions from jurors?
2: Yes. Not like crying or, but you could just see they were disturbed.
0: Now, would you play those uh, straight through or would you stop and comment? We
2: didn't comment, but we played him. He actually confessed 12 times. They did an overall confession where even when they had him in custody, they didn't know there were 10 women. They didn't know until he wrote the 10 names down. And the first woman, which was Sharon Nance, he didn't know her name because she was the one I think you referred to her on one of your previous podcasts as a sex worker. He d- didn't know her name, so he just put a question mark by her name. The police thought that he had killed Vanessa Mack and that he had killed Randy Henderson, Betty Balkum, and Deborah Slaughter. The other six were unknown until he confessed to it. So Jeez. he did the overall, then he did an individual confession to each of them. And then after he was done with that, they went back and did a, Henry, why do you think you did this confession?
1: What do you think was the biggest turning point in this trial? Like, was it the confession or something else?
2: I, I'm sure it was the confessions, yes. Because we had, we had no eyewitnesses. Nobody saw him do any of this.
0: How long was the trial? And I know you're, the timing, it must be near Christmas, New Year's, which... It was. Were you thinking you might lose some jurors because of the holidays?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have never heard of a trial lasting this long where you didn't lose a single one for some reason. Yeah, we started in September and we ended at the end of January.
1: Oh my gosh, that is a long trial. How did your team deal with that length of every day knowing you're going into court and battling? I
2: have no earthly idea how I did it. (laughs) I was a single mother of a four-year-old child. I was in the military, so some weekends I was working. I I have no idea how we did it. Jeez.
0: Did they take, how, how much time did they take off for Christmas and New Year's? They,
2: I don't remember, but I'm sure it wasn't inordinately long, right? long. It was probably just whatever the state holidays were. Yeah, jeez.
1: I want to ask you about Wallace's demeanor in court. Did he show any sort of remorse?
2: None. Hmm. Absolutely none.
0: When he was convicted, finally, then he did give a some sort of speech or Yes, he did.
2: Which caused Caroline Love's sister, whose name is Kathy, to literally run from the audience and try to jump on and attack him. What? Oh my gosh. Yes.
0: Because she didn't oh, think was he awful. was she didn't think he was sincere. Is that why?
2: No, he was quoting Matthew and I, I can't remember what verse it was, but basically he was saying that people who don't forgive other sins are going to hell. Like you oh, better Jesus. forgive me or you're going to hell was, I mean, he may have paraphrased, obviously, um, the verse, but that's what the intent of what he was saying was.
0: Talk about victim blaming, right?
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. because, uh, you know, sometimes you read it in the media and it was like how contrite he was and, uh, but that's not, the Oh, he there. was
2: never contrite.
0: In fact, you talk, bring up the religion. Cause I, well, one of the victims, he had pray with him, I believe before but, he, no,
2: she prayed. Yes. And yeah, prayed, and and that made him
0: mad. Oh, okay. Man, there's yep. so many different things that you're bringing light on. I, I am so intrigued by this. Uh, it was two years and 10 months after his arrest, convicted of nine murders. You mentioned the South Carolina ones didn't charge him with. And then he's convicted. Now, does the same jury decide whether it's the death penalty? Yes, they do. Okay, so they do they go away and come back or what, what, ha- well,
2: what we do is then you in the sentencing phase you present more evidence that's where a lot more of the poor little Henry Wallace he was abused defense came out okay. um, it's called evidence and mitigation and I don't mean to make fun of it in general but in his case I was making fun of it for example his expert said that he told them that he was His mother wanted him potty trained when he was one years old and would beat him when he would have accidents. Matt, do you remember being one years old?
0: (laughs) No, I don't remember being one year old, but I I I remember having a one year old. I can't remember being 30. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So basically, whatever story Henry told them, the experts spit it out to the jury as facts. That's why I was making fun of it. I mean, mitigation evidence is a very important part of our system. But to me, it was not compelling when you have raped, brutalized, and tortured to, you know, we knew of 12 women. Um, The fact that your mother may have spanked you for having a poopy in your diaper doesn't explain (laughs) that one to me.
0: No, Yeah, that does seem like a a bit of a reach. And the judge, uh, when he sentenced him, said, may God have mercy on your soul. And he's been in jail for 26 years, and he married— His nurse.
1: Yeah, what do you think about that?
2: Well, she was a a different kind of person because we had, you know, the trial was from September to January. But before that, we had change of venue hearings. We had DNA hearings. We had a one-week hearing on the admissibility of his confessions. And her name was Rebecca Torajone, I believe. And she was present for that. And she told one of the deputies during a break, they were not married at the time. Um, she told one of the deputies at the break, as soon as Henry gets out of jail, we're getting married. She wow. sat in there and listened to his confessions and thought he was going to walk free. Mm.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think his best case scenario was not death row. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. right.
0: I, you know, I, I, nowadays, the victims have a chance to speak. Was it that way then? And did anybody speak?
2: Yes, they did. Um, I don't remember, you know, obviously there were 10 families so, or nine families, so I don't remember what each and every one of them said. I do remember probably one of the most touching, saddening moments I've ever had in court. Valencia Jumper, the one that was the, the ruled as a fire death, um, she had jewelry on her hands, okay, a watch and some stuff, or she wore jewelry and had a watch. Well, she was burnt very badly. The watch was still on her wrist, but all of her rings were missing, which was one of the reasons the family insisted this was not an accidental fire death. They swore their daughter had been murdered, and nobody would listen to them. The fire department said no. The medical examiner said no. that It Mm. was a fire death. Well, one day after she was killed, guess who pawned her jewelry?
1: Uh, I was going to ask you that question. Did he did he keep yes. those as mementos, yeah, or did he sell it. them?
2: So we had pawn slips and went back and got some of the jewelry as evidence. Okay, so at the end of the trial, Mr. Jumper, who was retired Air Force guy, very tall, dignified man, gray hair. He's like, "Can I get my daughter's jewelry back?" And so I asked the judge, and this is an open court, oh, I mean, the courtroom was packed. And the judge, you know, asked the defense if they objected, and they said no. And I just thought it would be released at some later date. And the judge said, approach the clerk. And that poor man walked past Henry Wallace and up to the clerk, and was handed his dead daughter's rings. Oh geez. Oh my gosh. And was crying and went back to his seat. I'll just I'll never forget that.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and, and and shedding some light on this case that I haven't seen printed uh in very many places, that is for sure. Uh yeah. if at all. Yeah. Um, yep. we,
2: Could I take a couple of minutes to address the, the issue of whether or not the police should or should not have seen this coming? Oh, yeah, yeah well, absolutely. absolutely yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah, go From ahead. 1992 to 1994, it was the height of the crack epidemic, and Charlotte had over 300 murders in that time period. Mm. Okay. Yeah. In 1993 alone, there were 120 murders. Mm. Of those 120 murders, Three of them were Henry Wallace. One of them was Valencia Jumper, so she wasn't counted as a murder at the time. Three murders out of 120 is two, a little bit over 2% of the murders. What pattern is there in 2%? Okay? Mm-hmm. Four of the 10 of his murders were in one month, in three weeks. So before that... You had six murders, right, Mm -hmm. out of 300. Six murders, two of which were not known to be murders because one was Caroline Love, who was only missing, and one was Valencia Jumper, who was a fire death. So you had four out of 300. What's the pattern? There is none. He basically, he beat Sharon Nance to death outside with a rock and left her naked. Caroline Love was not found, so there's no pattern yet. Victim number three was Shauna Hawk. She was strangled, but they thought at first she had been drowned because she was in a bathtub. Victim number four, and Shauna was fully clothed. Victim number four was strangled to death with her own bra and was left naked, not clothed. Victim number five, fire death. Victim number six, was another ligature strangulation, but with a belt, and she was stabbed four times, and she was only one at that point. It was a mother. The rest were just single females, okay? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Then, basically, the next four came within three weeks, and they were ligature strangulations, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Vanessa Little Mac was strangled. She was a mother as well. Her little infant baby was found by her mother when she didn't hear from or found by her grandmother when uh, the grandmother didn't hear from her daughter. The police did such a good job on that. And he changed his areas of town, too, his location. So these women weren't in the same part of town. You got four murders out of 300 that were strangulations. So that's less than 1%. Right. And so- if anybody that tells you about strangulation, strangulation is usually a very personal form of murder boyfriend girlfriend husband wife type of thing and none of these cases had a sign of forced entry suggesting that the women knew their attackers yeah. and let them in who do serial killers kill strangers right he was the first one that ever that I had ever heard of that killed all women he knew so they were all looking at boyfriends the police were investigating that but the one thing they did interesting with Vanessa Max case, is they got her bank records, saw a use of her teller card, and got the picture from the machine. Once again, even then, Henry Wallace was so smart, he averted his face. So his face was not in the picture. But what was in the picture was his ear with a hoop cross earring. When the three, or when the two women were killed at the Lake Apartments, The first body discovered was Brandy Henderson. She was killed second, but discovered first. They asked her boyfriend, who would she let in to the apartment? And he gave them four names. She was very security conscious. And these are the only four people she would let in. And one of which was Henry Wallace. Mm. Well, that detective went and ran the names of everybody and found Henry Wallace's mugshot took it in to Brandy's boyfriend and said, is this him? And he said, yes. Well, that picture was on the table and Detective Stansbury, who was working Betty Balkum's murder and who had worked Vanessa Mack's murder, walked in to ask a question. And he saw that mugshot with the hoop cross earring and went ding, ding, ding. Wow. Oh, wow. That the man who had Vanessa Mack's bank card looked had an earring just like that.
1: Light bulb, that's when they
2: started putting it all together. They had that palm print, they ran it, and it was Henry Louis Wallace. And literally, within I think two days of that, they had a serial killer in custody. That's how good of a job they did. Yeah,
0: and that's that's not the way it's painted sometimes when you read about it.
2: Oh, it's not painted that way at all. And it's, I mean, it's, I just, those guys back then worked such long hours because they were so undermanned. And for them to have got the beating that they took, it's just, it was unwarranted. I've never, I've worked with a lot of detectives in my life and these guys were totally dedicated.
0: Yeah. You brought up something that made me throw this question out because you mentioned multiple times about, how I guess smart if you for lack of a better term, and he used certain words like modus operandis and changed his pattern. He talked about do you think he was reading about police work or somewhere aware of that?
2: Yes, he told or if you can believe him, he told his psychiatric experts, remember those I don't y'all might not remember because I'm you know my 60s. So huh. there used to be these called True Detective magazine. Sure. Oh yeah, I used to read that. Yeah. Yes, and they would cover all these killings and have these pictures of women and all that. Yeah. Henry read those things. And when you talk about the way he talked, when he talked about how he did Vanessa Ma- or excuse me, Valencia jumper's murder. She had just moved in and they had done a check and she had batteries in her smoke detector. He took the batteries out of her smoke detector. And how he started the fire was he said, I used alcohol because it is an undetectable accelerant. Oh. He then turn, went into her kitchen, put a pot of beans on the stove, turned it all the way up, took that alcohol from the pot of beans and ran it all the way to the bedroom in the bed in which she was in. Jeez. Lit it and ran. And, the firefighters bought it. They saw the burn patterns from the stove all the way to the bedroom. He took the batteries out because he wanted to make sure that the fire was fully engaged before anybody called it in to make sure her body was burned up. That's mm. how meticulous he was.
0: Yeah, that those kind of things. The the mitigating circumstances seem to be uh, contradicted. Yes, they do. That. Yes. <laughs> Um, again, thank you very much, Marcia. We super appreciate it and appreciate all the good work you've done over the years.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, that was so amazing because I've watched a 2020 special that was done on the Charlotte Strangler, Taco Bell Strangler. I've read the, what's it called? Murderpedia or something that's out there and Wikipedia. And there was a whole lot of new things I learned from her. And I uh, appreciate her time. Uh, we are going to get a hold of the woman who she took on in court during the trial who spoke up for Wallace not getting the death penalty. Her name is? Anne Burgess. Anne Burgess. And we're going to be talking to her in an upcoming episode. This, this story has taken off. Uh, we appreciate you hanging with us. Very much appreciated. Uh, this all started... Michael DeWitt did a story on the Wicked South about it. So, we're going to share this with the Wicked South listeners. Uh, you can go to the Wicked South podcast for more. You can check out Impact of Influence Facebook page and Michael DeWitt on socials. And uh, we're just so grateful that you continue to spend time with us. Reach out to me, Matt Harris, podcast at gmail.com, and we'll talk soon, friend.
2: killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows